listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Every passage of Scripture has a context, has a backdrop, has a uh, background, a setting in which when we read it, it's not that it comes alive. We know that the Word of God is living and active. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged or two-edged sword. We know that the Word of God is already alive, but when we understand in the 21st century more about the original context and the original setting in which a passage of Scripture was written and what it meant to the audience that day, that particular time. When we understand that, it's not that the Word of God comes alive because it's already alive, but it seems to us as if it's more alive. In Italian, we'd say, capisce? Understand? I just taught you an Italian word today that you're to use during lunchtime when you're eating. I'm not going to talk about food right now. Capiche? Understand? You got it? Every passage of Scripture, when you understand its context, when you understand the setting, when you understand the backdrop, quickens the Spirit. Makes it seem to us that what was already alive is even more alive and pertinent for us. And that's the case here in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. What? The raising of the widow's son. He was dead. He's dead as a doorknob raised to life. All these things that Jesus had been doing up to this point. Healing people. Demons being cast out. Dead people coming to life. John the Baptist's disciples have reported these things to John. John, if we read Matthew chapter 11, is in prison. He's not able to see these things for himself any longer. He's in prison. And so John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who was not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Jesus is asking rhetorical questions that beg a no answer. Did you go out into the wilderness to see the vegetation? You didn't go there for that. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? In other words, John was in camel's hair, eating bugs. He didn't go out there to see somebody dressed in fine clothing. You don't go into the wilderness to see somebody dressed up in a three-piece suit. You go out in the wilderness to see somebody who's a prophet, somebody who's a spokesperson for God. Where do they go out into the wilderness to see? The movement of God. So Jesus is asking rhetorical questions. They beg a no answer. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Verse 25, a man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. 
I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, got to be a lawyer in there somewhere, huh? rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To whom then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, Jesus referring to himself, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. If you don't pay attention to what's happening in this passage of Scripture, I find this passage fascinating. If you don't pay attention, you will miss what actually is happening here. John the Baptist is in prison. John is a prophet sent by God. Jesus is quoting the book, the Italian prophet, the book of Malachi. No? Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. That's what he's quoting from here in Luke chapter 7, verse 27. This is, a, this is he, John. Is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So he's giving an explanation about who John was. And the nod... Jesus is putting dots out. He's setting some dots out so the people could connect the dots. The nod is that if that's who John the Baptist was, then who am I? If John prepared the way in fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, the one who's to make straight the way for the Lord, if he's the precursor, then who am I? But you see, John has a problem. Maybe you have this problem. John has a problem. It's that the Messiah shows up on the scenes. God's in the process of taking things to a whole other level, a deeper place, a higher place, the prophetic, eschatological, million-dollar word for end times. The end times plan of God is moving forward. And where is John? He's not in the front row. He's not even at the 50-yard line. He's not even in the stadium. He's in prison. Now, how would you feel if you were John? John is the one who baptized Jesus. You remember in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus comes to be baptized. Why does Jesus go to be baptized by John? Because we've already read it here in this particular passage. It says in verse 29, when all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The whole idea is that not that Jesus needed to be baptized, baptized intrinsically by John the Baptist. It was that Jesus needed to be baptized by John the Baptist because he was making a statement. Otherwise, we would have had Jesus being silent on something that we needed a verdict upon, which is, is John sent from God or is he not? Is John's baptism from God or is it something that John conjured up, went into the wilderness, decided to wear camel's hair and eat locusts for no good reason? Jesus did that in Matthew chapter 3, it says, so that all things might be be fulfilled so that people could say John's baptism was indeed from God. The Pharisees, 
the teachers of the law, known here as the lawyers. We won't go there with a bad lawyer joke today. They didn't participate in John's baptism. They rejected the movement of God, and therefore God's judgment was upon, from that moment and continuing forward, the leaders of the nation of Israel. The leaders of the Jewish nation rejected Jesus that first time, crucified him, participating with the Romans, who happened to be the, the thugs. The Italians seem to often be the ones who carry out the dirty work. So Jesus was baptized by John. John recognized, I should be baptized by you. In John chapter 1, an amazing passage of Scripture in John's Gospel says this. The testimony of John the Baptist himself, verse 29, John chapter 1. The next day he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Hmm. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Pretty bold, pretty clear statement. So what is the problem? There are people who say that the Bible is filled with contradictions, contradictory statements. There are people who say that the Bible is a made-up collection of stories of people who are trying to make sense of a life that all of us need to make sense of. Christianity has been called a crutch. I tell you, Christianity is not a crutch. It's the emergency room. It's the triage. It's the critical care unit. It's much more than a crutch. Nobody gets into heaven because they need a little bit of help. We get into heaven because we were completely helpless and God did for us, to us, with us, and through us what we can't do for ourselves. That's what Christianity is. It's not a crutch. See, the issue here is that John is not there when heaven really breaks out. Some have said that John must have been clueless. See, the Bible contradicts itself. How can you explain what I read from John chapter 1? How can you explain John recognizing who Jesus was when he was going to be baptizing Jesus? And he says, I should be baptized by you. It's a book of contradictions. John the Baptist must have been clueless. See, these people don't understand the full counsel of what the Scriptures teach. It's not that John was clueless at all. I think we can easily dismiss that. He's not clueless. But maybe some people might say he was faithless. After all, has this not happened to you where you believe God to do something mighty, you believe God to do something significant, and then what do you end up doing? You start putting the cart before the horse, and you begin to project onto God some promises that God didn't necessarily give you. Did God tell John the Baptist that he would not be thrown into prison? No, he didn't. Did God tell you that you would not suffer difficulty for Jesus? Did he tell you that he'd keep you from suffering? No, he didn't. 
Now, I know there's been some heretical teaching that's made its way into, entwined into the scriptures, into the teachings, the unadulterated teaching of God's word that has us believing that if I follow God, everything will come out terrifically, wonderfully well. It's not like the Christian life is watching a movie where at the end you get the beautiful truck that you wanted. Where at the end you're a barren couple and you pray and you believe God and miraculously you can conceive. That's, you know, we write, we make movies like that. I know you've watched some of those movies. I have. But when I read the Bible, it's not afraid to present real people with genuine problems in need of divine help. And John is one of those hiccups. Sent by God, proclaimed by the mouth of Jesus himself. What did you go out to see a prophet? I'll tell you more than a prophet. The precursor to the coming Messiah. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The precursor to the coming Messiah. That's pretty significant. John's not just a prophet. He's going to be that significant a prophet. The only problem is that this guy is now in prison. And not once but twice. His disciples come to Jesus and not once but twice, meaning it's not a copyist's error. It's not a mistake here. It's recorded twice. They come and they ask Jesus on behalf of John. John puts them up to this. Go ask Jesus. I need a moment of clarity here. Are you the one who is to come, or is there somebody coming after you? Does that not strike you as strange? Does that not make you wonder what was going through the mind and the heart of John the Baptist? Is the Bible contradicting itself, or are the liberal scholars, I use that word scholar very liberally, guilty of not reading the entire Bible from front to back? Is it a case of those scholars, people who supposedly are scholars, really being members of the nighttime Bible reading society? Reading the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, one eye closed, missing things. I think that's exactly what it is because John is either clueless about who Jesus is and has no idea and is taking stab after stab in the dark. I don't believe that he's clueless at all. Or John is faithless, being in prison, experiencing some doubt, some discouragement, some depression, and second-guessing. Or, I think there's a third option which makes the most sense. John is selfless. He's not clueless. He's not faithless. He's selfless. Say, Mike, that does not make sense to me. Of course it doesn't make sense to you because you don't really know what the Scriptures teach. Don't you understand? That's what it's all about. The more you know what the Scriptures say, the more you understand about God. The more you understand about God, the more you understand about yourself, the easier your life becomes. D.L. Moody said it well when he said, this book, speaking of the Bible, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. The reason why at first when I say that John was selfless, it doesn't make sense, is because we lose sight of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, look with me, beginning in verse 10. Look at our Father's words, speaking of the ministry of the prophets. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, whose? Yours. Searched 
and inquired carefully. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Look at that. Inquiring what person, in other words, who would it be, and the time, the circumstances, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but who? You. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Do you understand that John was absolutely selfless? It was revealed to, to them. He's a prophet. It was revealed to him that he was not serving himself, but you. Do you understand that in a very real sense, this scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, was being fulfilled through John the Baptist, a mighty prophet of God, sent on the last day's scene, the last day's landscape, to make straight the way for the Lord. The, the plan of God is unfolding through his prophet, John. In the book of Malachi chapter 4, it says that God would send his servant Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And elsewhere, we see in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 17, look it up yourself. Jesus says, if you're willing, John was that Elijah. It's not that John the Baptist was clueless about who Jesus was. It's not that John the Baptist was faithless and had a crisis of faith. It's that John the Baptist was a man of God, a prophet of God, sent by God with the plan of God, who didn't understand all of the plan of God the way we now understand it in the 21st century. Do you realize that if you will read your Bible, if you will read your Bible, you will have greater insight into the ministry of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his identity, his ministry, his teachings, the person and the time, as we just read from 1 Peter chapter 1, than the prophets did. You'll have more insight. That's why it says even angels long to look into these things. See, the problem is not that God hasn't revealed it to us. The problem is that we don't prioritize reading the Word of God the way we should. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. We don't appreciate Genesis through Revelation, the full counsel of the teaching of God. And therefore, we don't understand the identity of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the way we could. Do you realize you don't necessarily need me to teach you the Word of God? All you need to do is discipline yourself to open up this book, to crack it open, to take some time to read it, to meditate upon Of course you're not going to understand everything in it. Of course you're not. That's why you need to be committed a long obedience in the same direction to reading the Word of God, to going to bed 15 minutes earlier, maybe longer, some of us five minutes earlier, so that you can get up five minutes earlier in the morning, 15 minutes earlier in the morning, meditate on the Word of God, look at the Word of God before you go to bed as the last thing you look at, and you'll find it will be the first thing you're thinking of in the morning. Your whole life will be changed. See, John's problem is that he was familiar with it. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, beginning in verse 1. Look with me at our Father's Word. 
Don't just take my word for it. Look with me. The wilderness and the dry land shall become glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. What shall the, the wilderness? Who was in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance? His name was John the Baptist. That's where he was. You don't think he was familiar with this as a prophet sent from God? Of course he was. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. That's a pretty up moment, don't you think so? The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. Strong terminology. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's Isaiah 35. Isaiah 42. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the prisoner, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Hold it right there. Dungeon, prison, bring me out. Get me out of here, Jesus. Are you the one who's coming or is there somebody coming after you? Did I miss something here about your deliverance, your ministry of deliverance? Did I miss something here about the men? Of course John didn't understand the fullness of Jesus. Do you know it's possible to be used by God and not understand everything about God? God does it through you all the time, every day. You think John understood everything about Jesus? You think the Old Testament prophets understood everything about the side? Did we not just read 1 Peter chapter 1? That the Spirit of Christ in them was at work helping them to try to understand the person and the time. Who's it going to be? What are the events going to be like surrounding the coming of that person? The disciples, the apostles asked Jesus as, Jesus as they're coming off the Temple Mount area, hey, these building, this building looks pretty cool. And Jesus says, oh, really? You're impressed with this building? Not one stone's going to be left on the other. And they ask him about the time and the circumstances. John the Baptist, the Spirit of Christ within him, stirring him, moving in him, don't get caught up on some theological rabbit trail here about was it in him or upon him. That's not the point here. The point is that the spirit of the Messiah, the spirit of Jesus, working in him in such a way to, to he was thirsty. He's trying to understand what you and I have the privilege of understanding today because we have all of the scriptures. Back then they had some of the scriptures this guy was wondering the same thing that you would wonder when you ask God to use you, when you know that God is using you, and God begins to do that, and you begin to not necessarily understand the particulars about how God is moving. It probably did not make sense to John the Baptist that he was in prison, being familiar with this particular passage of Scripture about prisoners in a dungeon. I'm in a dungeon right now. Are you the one who was supposed to come or is there somebody coming after you? What does this mean? See, John, 
makes perfect sense if you read the full counsel of Scripture. It's not that the Bible is contradicting itself, it's that it's complementing itself. The Bible interprets itself. We get insight and understanding when we read the full counsel of Scripture. Of course, if you were in prison being used by God, you would wonder. Of course, it would go through your mind. What does this mean? Do you not wonder? Are you not wondering now? If you're not, it's coming on the horizon. God, what does this mean? This doesn't make sense. A number of years ago, we moved from Oregon to North Carolina to plant a church, spent a lot of money. I've talked about it before to plant the church, raised a lot of money to do that. A number of months into it, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. I lost her 10 months after. 11 months to the day after my mother died, I was diagnosed with cancer. Lord, what does this all mean? You know, if that hadn't have happened in North Carolina, and we hadn't closed our door on a church plant that we had poured ourselves into, we wouldn't be here right now in York, Pennsylvania. We are here because of the puzzling nature of how God moves. If you are committed to following God only when it makes sense, you will never follow God. Thank God that He doesn't reveal to you everything about your future. You don't need to know it. You need to surrender to Him in the present and the future will take care of itself. Glory to God, there's difficulty in your life. God's ministry, God's movement is not dependent upon your, your, your ability to get your head wrapped around it. Well, if I make this decision, if I make this call, Lord, what? of course God wants us to pray. Of course God wants us to persevere. Of course God wants us to, as far as it's within our wisdom, submitted to Him, leverage ourselves. That's a wise thing. It's a good thing. But you have to understand that even on your best days of trying to make the best decisions to give God the greatest possible glory, you'll never be able to understand all of the ripple effects of your decisions. John is in prison. It doesn't make sense. But God does not need John the Baptist any longer to fulfill his prophetic plan any more than he needs any of us. God will use us for his purposes. He will use us for his glory. And our delight should be the fact that we get to play any role whatsoever. God, give me a broom to sweep your floor. That's all I need. So here, the scriptures are proven to be true. That John the Baptist wasn't careless. He wasn't faithless. He was selfless. We today are recipients and beneficiaries of his ministry that now if we will read the Bible, we will get insight into the ministry of Christ, the person of Christ, the time and circumstances in which he came. Does that not blow your mind? God is not threatened by presenting real people with genuine problems in need of divine help. That doesn't blow God's fuses. That's not a hiccup. God doesn't have pimples and zits. He's trying to cover up. If you were trying to make this a made-up book, a collection of stories that were just made up and fictitious, you would sanitize it. You would take out some of these alleged hiccups, the things that the liberal, quote-unquote, scholars look at today and mock and make fun of and say, hey, it's not really God's Word, but that's because they're not reading all of God's Word. That's when it makes, makes sense to us. They don't understand the backdrop, the context, the setting. Verse 21 of Luke 7. In that hour, 
He, Jesus, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he restored sight, or he bestowed sight. This is interesting that they come and they ask Jesus, are you the one, or is there somebody coming after you? And Jesus says, you know what? That's a good question. You want to know if I'm the one? Come over here. Let me show you something, and you decide. Let me throw out a few more dots here for you. Vision. Hearing. Walking. A dead person coming back to life. What do you think? What did you just see? What does that tell you? You see how Jesus is answering the question? He answered them, verse 22, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. We read some of that from Isaiah. That was some of the messianic expectation of what the Messiah would do. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness? We looked at that. We looked at Malachi. Verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, those who have participated in the kingdom of God. Then we have the statement made about the baptisms, John's baptisms, and those who went out and participated in it, declared God righteous, declared God good, were affirming that John's the Baptist ministry was from God himself. And so what Jesus is saying, those who are least... Getting baptized, not what the titles or the PhDs after their name or the positions of authority. They're part of the kingdom of God. They're participants. But you, the Pharisees and the lawyers, the scribes who rejected the baptism of John, you're least where you should have been most. And Jesus says, you want the answer? You want to know whether or not I really am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Messiah, wisdom is proved right by her children. In other words, there's coming a day when the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, you, right here, right now, who have given your lives to Jesus Christ, would be evidence and demonstrators that Jesus was, in fact, the first and the last. Wisdom is proved right by your children. How do we know whether or not Jesus really is the Messiah? Whether he really was? How do we know whether or not we should seek another? Seek no other. The evidence, unmistakably clear for those who are looking that Jesus was drawing dots. Anybody who was hungry, thirsty, for a true movement of God, for the hand of God, would have been able to connect those dots if there was just a little bit of humility to take God out of the box that they had put him in. To stop dictating to God the terms, the circumstances, the situations in which they thought God needed to move. They would have seen Jesus with absolute clarity. Would have been able to understand in an unmistakable way that they should seek no other yes. I'm the one speaking in a language that they could understand, referencing scriptures that they would have been familiar with. 
And so I wonder what might have happened when they went back to John the Baptist and told him this news as he was in prison. We don't get the record of John's response. At that moment, just like when we read passages of Scripture that we didn't see before, just like today as we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, for example, we look at a passage of Scripture, at that moment the light bulb would have gone on for John as he would have received the report from his disciples, hey, all I can tell you is what we saw and what we heard. We heard what Jesus said about the lame, the deaf, the blind, the poor, the good news being preached, and we saw with our own eyes people who were deaf getting their hearing back, people who were blind being able to see again, the lame being able to walk. We heard the story about the widow's son. What do you think that would have done to John the Baptist in prison? You think that would have answered his question nicely? Don't you think that just like all of us, everybody is in process learning a little bit more about God? taking another step toward him in our understanding of his goodness, of his kindness, of his mercy. Aren't you glad that you serve a God who uses you despite the fact that you don't understand all there is to know about him? That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that we serve. And that is the one whom we can say with complete confidence that we should seek no other. Jesus is the one. been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm-hmm.